Anyway, we are glad that you're here. Let's turn over to 2 Timothy chapter 3. I want to continue to talk about praising God. And I'm actually just going to continue this morning what I started last night. I didn't get everything said that I wanted to say. So I'm still going to be talking about how praise affects you. And then tonight we'll start talking about how that it affects the devil, how you can use it as warfare and things like this. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in verse 1 it says, This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come, for men shall be lovers of their own selves. I think there's 16 things, 16 or 17 things listed here. And if you were to go through this and just think about this, this you could go through a, today's newspaper and on, probably on the front page you could highlight something that illustrates every single point being made right here. This is just like somebody took our newspaper and just looked through it and said, let me describe what this society is like. Man, if anybody doubts that we're living in the last days, all you have to do is just read this list and look at what's happening on the news today. And whether you think these are the last days or not, it's your and my last days, amen, and this is the way it is. Man shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despiters of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure, more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying the power thereof. From such turn away. Boy, what a description of the day that we live in. And the reason I wanted to read this is because in verse 2, Notice that it puts unthankful right in between being disobedient to parents and unholy. Did you know that being unthankful is a sign of the last times and it is a very ungodly, unholy thing? Again, I'm not saying these things to condemn. Sometimes people think that I'm doing that. But until we recognize that what we've accepted is normal is not God's normal, that it's wrong. You won't be motivated to change and get out of this. Being unthankful is a super ungodly quality. It is godly to be thankful. It is ungodly not to be thankful. And I'm using thankfulness here nearly interchangeably with praise. There is a difference between the two, but there are many, many scriptures that talk about enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful unto him. Bless his name. They are interwoven. They are connected. You cannot truly praise God if you aren't thankful for all of the things that he's done. And this right here is a sign of our times. And brothers, I am telling you, we live in an unthankful an ungrateful world, and unless you recognize that this is so and that it's ungodly and make a deliberate attempt to change, then you will be just conformed to the image of this world. You've got to recognize that the way most of us were brought up, the way most of us interact with other people, even our families, is ungodly, and it's not the way that God made it to be, and we've got to change. You know, my brother, he's four and a half years older than I am, He's a Christian. He leads people to the Lord. He's not baptized in the Holy Spirit, but uh, he does love the Lord. And when he first got married, one of the things that really impressed me 
was right after he got married. His, uh, it was like a week or two later. They were having uh, company come over, and he came home from work, and his wife was cooking, and she had all of the crystal and the china and the sterling silver out and set the table, and Ray walked in, and he says, what is this? And she says, well, we've got company coming over tonight. And he says, well, why did you put out all of this stuff? And she says, well, this is our best. We're putting out our best for our guest. And Ray grabbed all that stuff and put it up. And he says, from now on, my family will eat on the china and the crystal and use the sterling silver, and we'll use this other stuff for guests. He says, we're going to treat my family better than we treat anybody else. But it's nearly an unwritten law among most people that you know what, when you're at home, you let your hair down and you will say things to your people that you live with, your wife, your kids, that you wouldn't dare say to me. I could come up and insult you and you would bite your lip and hold back, but you would say things to your wife and vent on her in ways that you would never talk to me. Did you know that that is ungodly? You shouldn't really treat anybody better than the other person. You ought to love all people. But if you are going to be a hypocrite and have a double standard, you ought to treat the people you live with better than you treat anybody else. And yet most of us have been taught that at home you live by one standard and then out in in public you're going to treat other people better. You know, I was raised that way. I remember my dad one time, I wanted to go to the movie with my friends And he didn't want me to. He didn't think it was a good show for me to watch. And my friends were standing there. And I just began to beg him and plead with him and make him look like a bad guy. And so he says, okay, you can go. And he let me go. And when I got home, he liked to beat the devil out of me. (laughs) He says, don't you ever do that to me in front of your friends. Make me look like the bad guy. And he was worried about, you know, how we looked in front of people so... Uh, I learned that, man, you know what? He might give in if he's in front of people, but when he's home, he'll tell me how he really thinks. And you know what? Even though I'm not blaming him for that, I'm just saying that that's really not the way that it should be. And yet this is how most of us are trained. I was at a person's home one time staying with them, and uh, they were asking me to help them with their children, and I was trying to help them. And anyway, in the morning I got up, and the kid hadn't made his bed. And this woman just yelled at him, you lazy, and she just let him have it. Get up there and make your bed, and she yelled at him. And you know what? I always make my bed when I go to somebody's home. I don't, set, I don't expect them to you know, fix up after me. But at that time, I hadn't made it yet. And I just went over to her and I said, you know what? I haven't made your bed. I said, would you speak to me the way you just spoke to your son? And she just, I mean, got embarrassed. Well, no. And I said, that's the reason right there. I said, this is a big part of the problem. I said, you would never talk to me the way you talk to your son. And yet you wonder why he's in rebellion and stuff like this. You know what? You need to treat the people that you love the way you want to be treated. You need to operate in love towards them. But this is just the way it is in the end times. Most of us are a product of our environment. Most of us have been more taught by the devil and by our secular world, by your physical upbringing than we have by the Word of God. And I'm telling you that being unthankful and not giving praise and not being positive is a super ungodly trait. 
We are baptized in a society that this is the way that it is. The news doesn't show you the good things. Arthur, that was a great example about the policeman. They were pulls you over and gives you a reward and tells you you're doing a good job. Man, they always, it's just the law. It always shows the bad stuff. And we live in a society that it's just, it's, we are gravitating towards the negative and most of us have been conformed to that image. And this is one of the reasons that things aren't working better is because we aren't praiseworthy. We aren't, we aren't giving praise to God. We are focused on all of these negative things. Look over here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And I've used these verses to teach many different things, but I want to apply this towards praise. And Paul here was talking in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. And in verse 17, he says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, worketh for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory, while we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Now, I know like Dan, uh, uh, Arthur said this morning, some of you are saying, but you don't know my situation. You don't know the problems I'm going through. Paul had more problems here than any person in this room has. I could spend time trying to convince you of that, but I am absolutely convinced of it. He lists his little minor problems over in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, if you want to turn over there and read it. Paul had more problems and more pressure and more weight on him than any of us do, and yet he was able to say, it's just a light affliction. And yet, prior to this weekend and prior to the teaching, if somebody would have asked you how you are, you probably would have started telling them, oh, man, it's bad. You just don't know how bad I've got it. You would have told them about what the doctor says, about your finances, your family, on and on. And we feel justified in having all of these problems. If Paul's problems were bigger than yours, and yet he called them a light affliction, then why, how can you justify calling your problems this heavy burden and all of these big problems? It's not because the problems are bigger. It's because of the way you process it. It's because of the way you look at things. And again, it's in the absence of faith and praise we get to magnifying these problems. It's like the devil puts a little tiny toothpick in your path. And, you know, your mind is like a set of binoculars. Whatever you focus your attention on, it grows and it gets bigger. And so he puts this little thing in your path. And by the time you get through meditating on it, it's just this baseball bat and he's beating your brains out with it. And it's really just something that's small. But you have magnified it through the way that you look at it. And on the other side, see, your brain is like a set of binoculars. You can turn the binoculars around, look through the big end and out the little end. And you can take a mountain out here and shrink it down to where it's only this big. It just depends on how you process it. It depends on how you look at it. And this is one of the points I was trying to make last night, that see, praise makes you change your focus from looking at this thing and instead you look past it at the promise of God, at what God has done. And when you do that, it just shrinks your problem down to where it's not that big of a deal. And this is what Paul is talking about. The reason his affliction was a light affliction because he put it in the light of eternity. Compared to eternity, most of the stuff we deal with is super insignificant. Did you know some of the things that have bothered people this week when you got here, in eternity, you won't even remember it. I had Dutch. I don't remember where Dutch is right now. Where are you, Dutch? 
Right here, over here. He was telling me his water pipes broke like what, an hour, a couple hours before you left? Anyway, just right before he left on his trailer home. Did you know that that's the kind of thing that can get your goat and just bother you and all this stuff? He just, I forgot. He told me he put something on it, fixed it in an hour's time, left it, and he's here. He said he wasn't going to let that destroy him. But, you know, and some people say, well, that's a big deal. Man, That look at all the damage that could do. In light of eternity, how big a deal is it? It's very possible that next year at minister's conference, he might not even remember this, or if he does, he probably wouldn't think about it in between. But we get upset over things that really aren't that big of a deal. Paul said that it's just for a moment. Even if your problem lasts 50 years, it's just for a moment compared to eternity. And then the second reason he gave, now this is what I was wanting to point your attention to. He says, while we look not at the things which can be seen, but at the things which cannot be seen, because things which can be seen are temporal, are temporary, but things that can't be seen are eternal. And brothers, here's a point I'm trying to get across today. And I really think that this could help you if you could receive what I'm talking about. Most of us find our identity and our security and our joy and our peace in temporal, temporary things that can be seen, that are subject to decay. One of the things that praise does, if you do it properly, it makes you focus on the intangible things that God has done for us that aren't subject to change and that will never be affected by anything else. And you have to get your life to where it is founded upon these intangible things. You know, you saw these pictures of our construction and they're putting down these footers where they're going to put up 600,000 pounds of steel and then all of the other stuff on it. You know, it's got to have a foundation. If you just stuck that steel in the ground, I guarantee you that weight would cause the things to sink into the ground. It would fall apart. You have to have it founded on the right thing. And we should have our praise tied to what God has done for us, intangible things that cannot be touched, that cannot be shaken. Look at this verse over in Hebrews chapter 12. In Hebrews chapter 12... And in verse 26, it says, Whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also the heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that can be shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. This is a little bit of old English wording here, but it's just saying the word once more means that there is coming a shaking, that it's going to remove everything that isn't founded. Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken, and it'll be removed, and the only thing that'll be left are the intangible things that cannot be shaken. And then in verse 28, it says, wherefore we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace wherewith we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. Did you know that the kingdom of God, the things that Jesus has done for us, cannot be shaken? And I'm going to say some things here that, again, it's like Arthur was saying today. Man, that's a great message, Arthur. I really enjoyed that. But you've got to hear 
What I'm saying, you could take an isolated phrase here and totally miss what I'm saying. But hopefully you'll hear that most people's lives, and I think men even more so than women, our lives are all about our accomplishment. You know, I believe that God made men to be doers. I'm still, I guess, a male chauvinist by some people's standards, but I believe that God gave men the headship of the home. I believe that there is something inside of us that just likes to create. You know, I just love building stuff. I love it. You know, when I talked about driving these big old machines and stuff, every time I do that in a mixed crowd, the women all go like, oh, men and their toys, like how stupid is this? What's the point? But you know what? I, I drove that scraper. I drove the D9 bulldozer. And uh, man, every time I do this in front of a group of men, they go, yeah, I say, man. There's, just, there's something inside of guys that like to be, I think that we take great satisfaction. God made us to want to create, to make things better. And when you see something that you've done, you take a lot of pride in it and you get a lot of satisfaction out of creating and out of doing things. And because of that, if you aren't careful, your identity will be based on what you've done, on what you've created on all of these physical, natural things. And I'm just telling you guys that anything, if it can be seen with your eyes, it's temporary. It's subject to change. It's not going to last forever. You know, we're in the process of building this new campus. I'm excited about it. But you know what? That is not my identity. That is not who I am. And, it, you know, those things are subject to change. There could be an earthquake. Now, I've prayed against all this stuff, so I'm not believing for it. But I'm saying if something happened, you know what, and I lost that building, it is, that is not me. It is not going to make me sad. It's just a tool that God's given me. It's no different than my table saw, my router, my other things. You know what, if, I, if I, somebody stole one of those things, I'd go get me another one. That is not my identity. That is not who I am. And yet so many people start putting their identity and their security, their joy, their peace, their praise is based on these physical accomplishments and things that they've done. And the moment you do that, you have just put your foundation on the sand and not on the rock. You are going to be shaken because everything that can be shaken will be shaken. I can guarantee you if you live a normal life, go 70, 80 years or beyond, you are going to have some problems you are going to have some things happen to you. It happens. This friend of mine, Bob Yandian, I mean, uh, excuse me, Bob Nichols, who's on my board, he's a pastor in Fort Worth, Texas. Uh, Dave Hinton wrote a song about him, about the storms couldn't blow him away. And he had $18 million worth of facilities in downtown Fort Worth. It was the historic old First Baptist Church uh, Fort Worth, and he bought it, and it was $18 million. It was 110,000 square feet. That's the size of this entire complex that we had. But it was very nice, $18 million. And he was in a counseling session. One of his security guys came in and said, Pastor, uh, we've got to get you out of here. It's life or death. And they got into a little closet and in 45 seconds, two tornadoes collided over his thing. And they took these huge steel beams bigger than these. And they just twisted them. 
And in, eight, in 45 seconds, $18 million worth of facilities were gone. And man, I heard about it. And I got on the internet, and within one hour of that happening, I saw Pastor Bob Nichols with a hard hat on out there being interviewed by CNN. And he says, God didn't do this. The devil meant it for evil, but God is going to work it together for good. And he was praising God. And did you know he said that this is not who I am? This does not define my ministry. He had been in ministry at that time, I forget, for 40-something years. You know, that would have been a good opportunity to just sit down and quit. But see, he saw that as a tool. That wasn't who he was. It wasn't these physical things that he had accumulated. And he kept believing God, and he was praising God. Within one hour of this happening, he was out there giving glory to God. On Sunday morning, the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, the Dallas Morning News showed up because they rented the um, Casa... I forget what it was now. But anyway, they rented this auditorium to meet in, and they all came to see the church mourning and grieving over all of the destruction. And one of the reporters uh, responded by saying, it's like they won the lottery. They never saw people as happy. People were running and shouting and praising God, and they were just praising God. Because you know what? It was just stuff. It was just stuff. And it was useful stuff. They had to have something, and so they started believing. And you know, they started saying that God's going to give us twice as much as we had before. And it's a long story, but they started using a Church of Christ facility that at one time used to run 2,000 people. And so they had an auditorium of 2,000, but they had dwindled down into just a couple of hundred. And uh, so they let them use their facility, and they used it for a year. And then eventually they bought this uh, Church of Christ facility. They had 18 acres in downtown Fort Worth. They got over 36 acres. It's twice as much acreage. They got this facility. They had enough money from the insurance settlement to build a complete uh, Christian school with two gymnasiums. They came out more than twice as much as they had before. And you know why? Because his identity wasn't in what he had accumulated and in those things. It was on something intangible. It was in God. God is never going to change. God never changes. But the moment you get a business that's successful and you start drawing your self-worth and your joy comes from that business and from your accomplishments, that business is subject to change. That business is tangible. Satan can afflict it. And if your joy and peace is in those kind of things, then you'll fall apart when these problems come. But if you put your heart and soul into Jesus and knowing him and your identity is in Jesus, those things, Satan can't change that. Satan cannot affect what Jesus has done. He cannot change the fact that Jesus died for you and loved you. He can't change the fact that if you die, you are going to go to be with the Lord in heaven. He can't change the fact that you, by his stripes you've been healed. He can't change any of these things. The moment you begin to start basing your joy and your contentment on things, those things are subject to change. You know, Jamie and I were put together by God. We were engaged to be married before we ever held hands. She accepted my proposal, and I'd never held hands with her. God put us together supernaturally. We've had a good marriage. It's awesome. 
And I tell you, she's been a blessing to me. And some of you, again, I pray that you got ears to hear, that you hear right. But you know what? I am not codependent upon Jamie. Many of you think that's terrible. I thought you all loved each other. We do love each other. But you know, in October the 27th, Jamie fell, and like I told you, her heart stopped. I don't know if she died or just passed out, but uh, it's possible that we could have lost her. And you know what? I would have missed her. I would have loved her. It would have been a tragic thing, but you know what? It wouldn't change who I am. It wouldn't keep me from doing what I'm doing. I am who I am without Jamie. Some people misunderstand that. And they think that, well, I, you don't really love your mate. They like these old kind of songs. I saw, I heard something on the radio. I literally wanted to stick my finger down my throat and throw up. It was just terrible. But it was about some person singing about they loved their, probably person they were shacking up with, not their mate, but probably their whatever, mistress or whatever. They loved her so much that they just couldn't close their eyes and go to sleep. And I just wanted to throw up. Like, what's wrong with you? That's not God's kind of love. That's lust. You shouldn't be codependent upon people. You shouldn't be codependent upon your business. You shouldn't be codependent upon your accomplishments and your trophies. You ought to be able, like the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3, I count all of these things but loss, but dung that I might know the Lord. And he was talking about his accomplishments. It was like dung. You know, I was noticing when Joe um, Vasquez came up here and took this gift today, and here he's, he's doing an awesome job. Amen. The Springs Rescue Mission is the largest distributor. Uh, I probably could get this wrong, but it's either of furniture, clothes, food, maybe all of the above in Colorado Springs. It outstrips the uh, city government. They have given out, I forget exactly, but I think it's one and a half million meals free that they do. They've got programs going. They're training guys. They're helping people. The Springs Rescue Mission is absolutely awesome. And you know what the typical guy does when you meet somebody? Hi, I'm important. And you tell them everything you've done and who are you and you want them to give you a list. You know, Joe just came up here and talked about how good the school was, how it blessed him, his identities in Christ. And even though Joe is doing something that most people have never done, you didn't hear it because it's like Paul. It's just like dung. It's, man, it's Jesus that's important. It's knowing Jesus. Did you know something could happen? The Springs Rescue Mission, they could pass a law against it and outlaw that kind of stuff and all of a sudden it'd be over. And if Joe's identity is in what he's doing and in his ministry, then his joy and peace would go in the toilet. But if you put your faith in the Lord Jesus and it's him and you feel his pleasure, and if that's the one that you're loving, well, then it doesn't matter if the Springs Rescue Mission closed down. It wouldn't matter if I lost this ministry. It wouldn't matter if these buildings are destroyed. My joy is going to be complete because it's on an intangible thing that can't be reached. Brothers, there are some of you, again, if you're a typical guy, you are more identified with your work and your accomplishments than you are who you are in Christ. And so you get fired from a job and your emotions just go in the toilet because after all, you're out of work and man, I don't feel like a man and I'm not providing and I'm not accomplishing anything. 
Again, I'm saying in the natural, I understand that, but you know what? That's an indication of a very carnal person, a spiritual person, a person who has really got their priorities straight. You fall so in love with God that, man, he's still the same. I don't care what's going on in your life. If you lose your job, if you were to lose your family, if you were to lose your wife, if you lose your health, if you use your, lose your income, the Lord is just consuming your life. When you get to where he is the focus of your life, then your joy will be consistent. If you're up and down like a yo-yo due to circumstances, it's because your focus isn't on God. You have, you have become codependent upon success upon your family, upon your friends, upon your job, upon all of these other things. And that's the reason that Satan is able to uh, destroy your emotions and keep you from praising God. I'm telling you, there is a key here. And that's to put your affection on things above, to find your identity in Christ, to find that God's one that loves you. You know, we had a board meeting one time, and on uh, paper, I was technically bankrupt. And my board of directors, we were meeting in my house. This is 25, 30 years ago. And we were meeting in my house, and they looked at all the stuff, and they said, you're bankrupt. We're going to close you down. It's the end of the ministry. It's over. Do you know, that's not what God told me. That wasn't the vision that I had. But I had to seriously consider, all right, what happens if the ministry's over? And did you know the natural thing to do is to have your identity in this ministry, I, this is what I believe God called me to do. And if it wasn't working, then man, it just was a time to cry, to fall apart, to feel terrible, all of these kind of things. You know what? Because of the things that I've been talking about, because of my relationship with the Lord, I actually had so many pressures on me from the ministry that hindered my relationship with the Lord. You know, the very first thing I thought when they told me this, I got to thinking, God, this would be awesome. It'd be awesome not to have the ministry. I could spend time with you. I wouldn't have the weight, the pressure. I wouldn't have to deal with anything. I could just go back to loving you, leading people to the Lord, studying the Word, enjoying my family, and I actually got happy. I had to calm myself down and say, now, wait a minute. This is not consistent with what God told me. And while we were sitting there praying, my mother called in a uh, church gave us a $60,000 offering that I'd never been to before or since, and praise God, it solved the problem, and we were okay. But you know what? I've had to seriously consider what would happen if I didn't have the ministry. You know what? I loved God before I had this ministry. I loved God before we had this building. I loved God before we had those buildings up there. If something happened, and if I lost the whole thing, and if my focus is correct, I should still be able to praise God and walk with God because of the intangibles. Because God's love for me has never changed. His provision for me has never changed. Even if I fail, if something terrible happened, if I got into sexual sin, if I stole money from the ministry, if I lost everything, and if my focus was truly on Jesus, I still should be able to access His love and His joy and His peace. It doesn't mean that I'm proud of, you know, if I hadn't done it, so don't take this as a confession. But if I had done those things, I shouldn't be proud of what I'd done, but I should be able to still praise God for who He is in my life. 
And I'm telling you, brothers, this is one of the reasons that your life is up and down like a yo-yo because that's the way that things are in a fallen world. Satan can touch your physical assets. He can touch your family. He can touch your body. That doesn't mean you have to settle for defeat. I believe in victory, and I believe that we can stand and overcome. But you are going to have things come against you in the natural. But if you were to put your focus and your identity was so much in God that it really didn't matter what people thought about you. It really didn't matter about all of these other things. Then you can reach a place to where you can praise God regardless of what's going on. And you know, this is a secret. It's a key. In Paul's life, that's what he said. He counted all of these things but dung, that he might know Christ and the power of his resurrection. It's been a secret in my life since I had that experience with the Lord in 1968. I guarantee you, I just lost the love of anything, even myself, for God. And I love God more than I love myself. And if I found, up, found out that I messed up and everything failed, I'd still be able to love God because His love for me would be the same even though I'm a failure. And I could praise God in that. If I messed up, I just talked to a man who messed up and did some things wrong. And he said the last six weeks have been the best time of his life. Not because of what he did, but because he found out that God still loved him completely separate from his performance. And he's now got a revelation of God's love deeper than he's ever had before. Man, that's awesome. You know, I was climbing Pikes Peak one time with a friend of mine, and we have a mutual minister friend who loves us He's given us money, supported us, and at the same time just runs us down and talks about him and me, both of us. He's criticized both of us to our face and behind our backs all the time. And so anyway, we were going up Pike's Peak. And this friend of mine got to saying, have you heard what so-and-so said about you lately? And I said, no, I hadn't. So he started to tell me, and I just decided, you know, I don't need to hear this. I said, I know that this guy doesn't like me. I said, I just don't want to hear it. So he shut up for a minute. And then we were walking along. I mean, two or three minutes later, he says, but he said this. And he started telling me what he said. And I just stopped him. And I said, I don't want to hear it. I said, I don't want to hear what he's saying about me. So we went for 10 minutes without anything. And finally, he just looked at me and he says, why doesn't it bother you what he's saying about you? And I told him, I said, because I don't put the importance on his opinion that you do. The only people that can ever get to you are the people that you value their opinion and you have to assign them that right to influence you and to do that to you. If you get to a place where the only one you lean on is Jesus, then nobody will ever let you down. The only people that ever let you down are the ones that you lean on, the ones that you have to have their approval. And I know what I'm saying right here is just like from another planet, from most people's existence, and some of you are thinking, is this true? Can you live this way? I believe you can. I believe you can get to where Jesus is so much the center of your life that even if your family deserts you, if something happened, if I'd have lost Jamie, I can guarantee you I'd have still been praising God. I'd have missed Jamie. I'm not saying that I don't love Jamie and I wouldn't have missed her. There's nothing wrong with that. But I guarantee you, my, my joy, my life is based on Jesus. I am not 
If something was to happen and if I'd have lost my wife, I guarantee you I'd still be loving God and praising God probably stronger than I am now. Some of you think you can't live that way. Don't wake me up. This is the way that I'm living. I remember something happened with my kids. Went on na- it went on international. Deal Paul Harvey got it and put it on his broadcast. Said he thought it was the worst thing he had ever heard in all of his years of broadcasting. And he told about what happened to us the night before. And we were having school the next morning. And you know what? They called me and said, we've got you, all of your classes covered. You don't have to come in. And I said, I'm coming in. They said, you can't minister. And I said, why can't I minister? And I remember Wendell and Linda, they meant us coming up our driveway as we were going down our driveway. And they came and brought us some things. And they said, we just came out here to be with you during all of this. And I said, but I got to go into school. I'm ministering this morning. They said, you can't minister with the stuff that's going on. I said, why not? I said, did Jesus change? Is anything different about Jesus? I wasn't going to tell the people what's happened to me. I'm going to tell them about Jesus and how he loves them. And those things haven't changed. And some people just say, you can't live that way. That's the way that I'm living. My life is based on Jesus and what he's done. And I have things that happen that I don't like. And I pray that they will change. And I'm believing I've got situations in my family with my kids that, you know, I wouldn't wish on an enemy. But I am believing. I'm focused beyond where things are right now. I'm seeing the end results and the promises that God's given me. And I have never one day let what's happening in my family and what people have done to me stop me from standing up proclaiming who Jesus is. I'm saying you can... You can get your life built on Jesus so that he cannot be shaken. And he doesn't change. Your job situation could change. Your health could change. Your finances could change. Your marital situation could change. Anything tangible can change. But you can base your life on the intangible truths of who Jesus is. And when you do that, you become as steady as a rock. And things will never change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And if your emotions are up and down, it's because it's based on tangible, physical things instead of the intangible. I'm encouraging you to change your focus, to make Jesus the center of your life, and to make the most important thing knowing Jesus. That's all that counts. When it comes right down to it, that's really all that counts. And that's really all that you can control. And you base your life on that, and I guarantee you, you can be secure. And you can be happy, and you can praise God regardless of what goes on around you. Isn't that awesome? Praise God. Father, thank you, Jesus. I just pray for my brothers in here and especially for those, Father, who their life is all wrapped up in themselves and in their accomplishments and the, and the things that you've given them, their physical assets, their family, their friends, all of these things. Father, we praise you for these blessings, but we want to base our life on the things that can't be seen on what Jesus has done for us, on your faithfulness. And I'm praying that you would help people to make the adjustments to put Jesus absolutely first in their life. And Father, to remove our codependency upon all of these physical, natural things that can be changed and put it on something that cannot be shaken.
Father, I pray for these men here that they will do this, that they will go home, and Father, it'll just transform their life. It'll transform their family, their businesses, their work situations. Father, we thank you for these things, and we just praise you for the things that you have done that are eternal, that will never change. Thank you for all of your goodness, and we receive that in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Hallelujah. So we've got boxes from Chick-fil-A. Where are they? Back here, I assume, in the break room. And this is already paid for, right, as part of their registration. So um, bowling is at 1.30. Does everybody know how to get there? Where are the maps? I don't know where we're going. Okay, it's back here on the table are the maps to Harmony Bowl. Uh, that's at 1.30, and it takes probably, what, 20 to 25 minutes to get there from here. So uh, you need to be leaving probably by 1 o'clock. And uh, let's bless this food real quickly so that when you get your food, you're, it's blessed and you're ready to eat. Father, we thank you that you have given us all things. Thank you for this food. Thank you for Chick-fil-A giving us 15% off of everything. Thank you. And we believe that you bless them, that they have so much business that they won't even be able to handle it. Thank you and bless Chick-fil-A. We believe that you bless this food and that it's sanctified and our bodies are healthy in Jesus' name.